Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, everybody. Uh, We got a great one for a change. David K. Johnston. You may know him if you watch uh, MSNBC. MSNBC is a cable news channel associated with NBC and the MS, by the way, Microsoft. They, they, they merged and became MSNBC. And uh, I, I had kind of hoped that they had done a business channel or financial news network. And so it could be MSNBC FN. Make sure you watch MSNBC or MSNBC FN. I wanted people to have to say that a lot, but they they wisely chose not to. Anyway, you've probably seen David K. Johnson on a lot of MSNBC, and if they had an MSNBC FN, he'd be on that too because that's what he writes about. He's a Pulitzer Prize winner uh, from New York Times. He wrote on uh, writing on taxes and finance and stuff like that. A brilliant guy, and this is this is my goal here. Uh, he's written a book. And I read the book, and it's really good. And it's a kind of a compendium, and uh, there's new stuff in it about just what a sleazebag uh, Trump is uh, in terms of his uh, finances, basically. The name of the book is The Big Cheat, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family. None of that is probably news to you that that he did that, but this is – both how he did it and kind of enumerating all the stuff he did. And so I compare this. This is going to be one-stop shopping. If you want to just sit down and listen to all the bullshit this guy has done through his life, the uh, he's a grifter. He's a grifter. So this is like a colonoscopy is what I'm, I'm saying. Uh, when I say uh, this is like a colonoscopy, I mean it's like my first colonoscopy. And let me explain. Uh, my first colonoscopy, which I did about 15 years ago, they didn't put me out. They put me on a Demerol Valium drip, Demerol Valium drip. And I don't know how long the colonoscopy was. I had a little lost track of time, but I think it was either, I don't know, 20 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour. I don't know what it was, but I could watch the monitor as they went up my colon and I could, um, you know, I could say, oh, I recognize that part of my colon. But anyway, the point was is that this was maybe one of the greatest half hours, hour, I don't know how long it was, of my life because it was a Demerol Valium drip. This this is like going up uh, Trump's colon, but also Jared Kushner's and and also uh, just the whole family. So I'm, I'm mixing metaphors here because – I'm talking about my colonoscopy. This is like you're having the Demerol volume drip. You get you get, every once in a while you got to hear 
all this stuff about uh, what a crook he is, what a grifter Trump is, what the, the whole family is. And this is, this is you, you do this one procedure here, listen to this, and you don't have to do it again for a while. <laughs> so that's what this is. That's what this is. So um, I, I don't know any other podcast host who has compared any one of his episodes uh, to a colonoscopy. But if you understand the Demerol volume drip. Now, I've had two cents. So the next one I got was about, uh, I don't know, eight years later. And I was looking forward to it because I thought you're going to get the Demerol volume drip. Now they use propofol. They won't give you the Demerol volume drip. So anyway, I go there expecting, oh, great. I'm going to get, I'm going to have a great time. Uh, but this puts you, it kind of puts you out. You're actually not out, but you don't remember it. I wake up and I go, what the hell happened there? I was really looking forward to this and I don't remember a thing. And they told me, I went, oh, damn it. So then I got one, uh, last year, another one. And when I talked to my urologist, I said, look, can I get the Demerol volume drip? He goes, well, we don't do that anymore. I said, okay, but can you get it? Can you get it? No, you can't really. So I did the propofol again, and there's nothing fun ab about the colonoscopy. Certainly drinking that stuff is awful, and then I can't even look forward to the drip. What I'm saying is here is that this is like you're getting the drip. You're getting the whole, <laughs> all the history of the Trump family and his you're getting it in one fell swoop, and at the end of it, you'll see you'll see all the different polyps. Oh yeah, that's when he stole from um, the uh, contractors who <laughs> built the casinos. Oh, this is when he forfeited on that loan. Oh, here's when he ripped that guy off. Oh, here's the money he got from the Trump Hotel. Oh, here's you know, you'll see each polyp. Okay. I don't know if that doesn't make you want to listen to this. I don't know what could. It's a great one for a change. David K. Johnston. Enjoy. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash Franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Franken. Rules and restrictions may apply.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The big cheat, how Donald Trump fleeced America and enriched himself and his family. Do you, now, do you have any documentation of all of this? Oh, every single fact in my three Trump books, this is the end of my trilogy, is tied to a public record, or in a few cases, my direct interviews with Donald, and for one story here in the book, uh, my interviews with Johnny Messer, who was the body man for Mayor Abe Beam of New York years ago. But I I have never uh, in my books used unnamed sources at the news organization that I run with friends of mine from the New York Times, the LA Times, and the Wall Street Journal, DC Report, singular, dcreport.org, we always use named sources. Okay. You know what? I, it was uh, the, the, the question was a slightly uh, a, a bit of a joke just because you're a Pulitzer Prize winner, right? Well, there are lots of Pulitzer Prize winners who do lots of access journalism, and that's just not what I do. I've, I've, since I was, you know, as a teenager, I became a staff writer at the San Jose Mercury, and I've always used name sources, public records. I spend a lot of time with public records. That's why, for example, broke the story in 2016 that Donald Trump had had two trials for income tax fraud, <laughs> both of which he lost. Uh, these were civil, not criminal trials, but nobody had ever written about them, even though they'd occurred ma- many years before, but they were right there in the public record, and that's how we found them. Okay, well, it sounds like some some of your fellow Pulitzer Prize winners aren't maybe a little shoddy. Is that what you're saying? No, they just practiced <laughs> a different way of doing this. It's just uh, I have I think- a different style. I've made it a point throughout my career, uh, Al, to cover Washington from afar. When I was the New York Times reporter covering the IRS, I lived in New York, in Rochester, New York, and traveled around the country and avoided being in Washington. It's just a different style of doing things. But with Donald, there is such an abundant public record that I don't think there's any need to go beyond it to show people who he is and how he and his cronies and his family behave. Speaking of which, I think people have some sense of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what I'd like to do is, because I've read the book, and there is, there's a lot in here. And so what I would like to do is just make this kind of the, the podcast here, one-stop shopping for Trump watchers, kind of review the highlights of his fraud that you document of uh, cheating, stealing, uh, screwing people lawsuits that he's uh, lost or settled, taxes he's evaded, crimes he's uh, committed, exploitation of his his office. Uh, what am I leaving out here? Just favors he's oh, given the bad actors? The okay. <laughs> Just oh, incompetence. There's incompetence. And, and, uh, and then uh, his 
bad faith. <laughs> okay. And uh, so once we do that, and, and we'll try to do that in, in uh, touching base on stuff that maybe people haven't yet, uh, that you document in the book, that they either haven't heard of or heard of the documentation or know of the documentation. And also, then I want to go to where things are right now in terms of stuff to watch for, uh, stuff that Donald Trump is worried about, the Trump organization, the tax evasion, the two sets of books, et cetera. First, let's review the highlights <laughs> that are in the book of his fraud, malfeasance, corruption, et cetera. What I do in this book is so many things happened during Trump's four years that there's no way to keep track of them. I mean, my whole life was devoted to chronicling and watching what Trump was doing. And one of my daughters who does research for me, Amy, as we were researching this, she kept handing me things that I'd forgotten about or didn't realize were significant at the time or had just briefly appeared as a flash in the back pages of the news. The thing I start out with that should have been a real problem for Trump was his original lie. That's what occurred when he announced his campaign on June 16th, 2015, came down the escalator at the um, Trump Tower, claimed that there were thousands of people there. And I'm sure you've been there, Al, and know as I do that you couldn't fit thousands of people in there if you packed them like sardines with sild oil. Right. But he didn't have to uh pack them like sardines, but he had to pay them like sardine extras. The people who were applauding and cheering 43 times, every time he made a, a horrible racist comment, for example, there would be this applause. And I'm watching this on TV and I'm saying, this is Midtown Manhattan. Did he bus people in from West Virginia? What is going on? And of course, the next day we find out that these were paid actors who got 50 bucks each to wear a Trump t-shirt and applaud on cue. So he begins his campaign with this original lie of enormous popularity and that got almost no news coverage. In fact, his, his remarks about Mexicans being rapists and murderers didn't even make the New York Times, which just wrote a sort of bland description of what he was uh, doing. Well, how much do they pay these people? $12,500 is what the public record shows. But how much individually? That's what I want to know. 50 bucks each. And <laughs> obviously, all the money didn't go to the people. There were about 50 paid actors, roughly 50. So, And those are the ones paid 50 bucks. So that's for being extra. They, they're extras. Right. Those of us who are in SAG uh, don't necessarily consider extras actors you should just know that just so that you're <clears throat> in the future when you talk about this thing that you have you're correct you have the terminology correctly right well and, and indeed the, the announcement to the people <laughs> emphasized that this wasn't the usual kind of job you know extras are people who are paid to sit in the jury box on law and order or be walking down the street in the background when the main characters are having a discussion with a camera on the dolly right. pulling away from them. and um, <laughs> well, okay so you're making a distinction this was the elevated extra that's right and there were lots of people in new york who who do extra work all the time. It's, it's a not uncommon uh, way to pick up some money in, in New York City. But, but for Trump, this was just the first indication that his entire administration would be built on lies and fraud, and yet it got almost no coverage. Okay, I want to ask another question. Did they know what this was? Did they know they were going to applaud 
Donald Trump or they show up there and they go, okay, what exactly is this? The announcement what the, the seeking the, the ad placement, seeking people, uh, made it clear that it was for a Donald Trump event. Okay. So these people came and, and willingly did it. And there's a few people who did it who later said, hey, look, it was 50 bucks for showing up for an hour. Right. And, and okay, and applauding racist stuff. But, okay, so that's our first. That's our first. So it starts off with that. <laughs> okay. But he's crooked way before this. You're oh, just starting uh, with his campaign, but he's crooked all his life, right? Not only his life, but his whole family. I mean, I've covered Donald since 1988. And Donald's grandfather was a German draft dodger who came here to America, lied to get his citizenship. Uh, what war did he dodge? Was it one? No, his father came in 1885, and Bismarck was impressing 16-year-olds. And when she There's got- no shame in, in, I don't want to be in Bismarck's army. I think I'll go to the United States. I think that's a perfectly legitimate. I think he's the best Trump I've heard of. Well, many, many young people <laughs> took exactly that position. Uh, of course, given Donald's own history, it takes on a little more significance. He then went out to Seattle, where he ran a restaurant called The Dairy, in which behind the curtain, there were uh, what were known in the era as, quote, sporting ladies. He later uh, built a hotel on land he didn't own. Um, was running a house of prostitution. He ran another one in the Yukon Territory until the days the Mounties showed up, whereupon he took his uh, his profits and, and fled. And when he tried to go back to Germany, the Germans uh, wrote him a letter, which I have a copy of, basically saying, you uh, are a traitor to our country. Get the hell out. And so okay. he came back to America. And his name was Drumpf? Uh, yeah, originally was Drumpf, and they changed it to Trump. That's correct. Then his father, Fred Trump, who was born in 1905, uh, Fred Trump, uh, a congressional documents show from the 1950s, ripped off the taxpayers for almost $40 million in today's money on government-subsidized housing that he built in Queens and Brooklyn. And when he, when he went before Congress, uh, before the U.S. Senate Banking and Currency Committee, about this, Fred said, gentlemen, gentlemen, you don't understand. I'm not a profiteer. I didn't take this money. Yes, I, I had much more money there than, than the contract said, but, but I didn't take the money. It's, it's sitting in the company bank account. Where else would you put it, Al? You're going to put $40 million in your pocket? I mean, it's an absurd answer. Uh, and his father's business partner was a man named Willie Tomasello. There's extensive documentation that Willie Tomasello was a front for the two most ruthless mafia families in New York. And um, when Donald comes of age, mm -hmm. first of all, he searches out Roy Cohen, the notorious Roy Cohn, right. uh, treats, he calls him his second father and takes his advice left and right about what to do. Now, Trump Tower uh, is a not a normal or traditional steel girder high-rise building. It's a 58-story concrete building. And when there was a concrete strike in New York, literally every project, if you were pouring a new sidewalk, tough luck, you didn't get your concrete, except Trump Tower. And Donald bought his from a mafia-owned company. From uh, what? From Tony? Tony? You bought from Tony? Uh, Fat Tony Salerno ah. and, and another guy. And... Uh, Donald has this long history of dealing with mobsters. 
there are many people who defend Donald saying, well, in, in, the, in New York, in real estate, you had to be involved with the mob. Well, two things about that. One, a number of prominent real estate developers, really big ones, Donald was not a really big one, despite his claims. They went to the FBI and said, hey, you got to get these mafia guys out of our pockets. Donald ran the opposite direction to the mafia guys because it was commercially valuable to him to work against law enforcement. Secondly, throughout his life, Donald has done business with all sorts of criminals who have nothing to do with New York real estate. He's been involved with Albanian and Irish and Kazakh and Russian and Ukrainian and uh, Yakuza. And, and, and Wilbur Ross. Well, Wilbur Ross is a chapter of my book. Wilbur Ross, before, <laughs> before he became the Commerce Secretary under Donald Trump, was vice chairman of a notorious bank, the Bank of Cyprus, that right. launders money for Russians and Russian criminals. And the other vice chairman of the bank was none other than an appointee of Vladimir Putin. You know, it's funny. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, I had to vote on Wilbur Ross, right, for commerce. Oh, yeah. So I uh, talked with him and he had bought these, he had bought a, uh, an iron ore mine in northern Minnesota and kind of had rescued the mine in, in a way. And he knew, he kind of knew what the business was and knew about it. And I, I liked him. And I was kind of actually considering voting for him. But after he left, I, I found out that he was this vice president of the Bank of Cyprus, which was basically a money laundering bank. So uh, my office got in touch with him and said I wanted to ask him about the Bank of Cyprus. And uh, he did, wouldn't get back to me on it. So I voted, of course, voted against him. Yes. Well, sadly, we don't have you questioning uh, people who are nominees anymore because you asked you and Katie Porter were the great question answers askers in Congress. Yeah. Well, uh, oh, man, they, uh, this is one of my biggest regrets about this is not being there for so much of the Trump administration and uh, not being able to. I uh, question uh, Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett and just uh, just a whole bunch of them. Yeah, well, well, Wilbur, just to wind him up, Wilbur has spent his entire life being misleading, to be polite, often lying outright to his fellow investors. When he bought a coal mine where there was a horrible accident, 26 people died, he first tried to assert he had no responsibility, even though he had ordered speed-ups. And then finally, under a lot of public pressure, said that he would uh, send uh, uh, money to help these families. They got color television sets. Mm -hmm. he, Wilbur is, in person, Wilbur is charming and can be very interesting. But in terms of business, he's the worst example I can imagine just about of a person you don't want to do business with. There are a number of bad actors in your book, but let's get back to uh, Trump and just reviewing some of the stuff he did during the administration, say, uh, or, you know, just taxes he's evaded. This is, or you can go pre his being president, um, favors he gave to bad actors, uh, exploiting his office. You know, of the 46 presidents we've had, Donald stands out for one reason, and it's not a good one. Everybody else did what they thought was good for the country. I mean, you might not, and I might not like what Andrew Jackson did, but there's no question that he was pursuing policies he thought were good for the country. Uh, even Chester Arthur, who came out of the Tammany Hall machine in New York, when 
the president died and he became president and the Tammany Hall guys came down licking their chops about how rich they were going to get off the government, he told them to go away. And we got from him the Pendleton Civil Service Act and lots of other good laws. Donald Trump from day one has always been about Donald Trump. And Donald really believes, Al, he, he's, I, I tell you this as someone who's known him and studied him for 33 years, Donald believes that he should be our ruler, that no one else can do it. And that if you don't recognize that, well, fake news. Right. Well, that's uh, only I can fix it. Is that it? He's, I mean, you got to say, Donald is a master con artist. He, he knows how to sell. He knows how to use lines that resonate with people. And he tests these out. When he finds one that works, then he develops it and hones it. And, you know, something like uh, writers do when they were uh, writing comedy on Saturday Night Live. That was for uh, people's entertainment and not to uh, steal money, except for some writers who weren't very good and were getting paid <laughs> and then get stuff on. They were They were stealing money as far as I was concerned. But we're not going to get into who that was. And what year they're writing on the show. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's talk just about his family. Now, the Kushners uh, and Ivanka, I mean, Jared and his family and, and Ivanka, they really made out during these oh. four years, right? Yes, unbelievably so. Jared Kushner, just before the economy collapsed in 2008, bought 666 Fifth Avenue, which is right down the street from Trump Tower. He paid by far the highest price per square foot ever paid for an office building in Manhattan. And two years later, it was worth about one third of what he paid for it. And of course, it was almost all borrowed money. They put up $50 million and borrowed almost $1.8 billion. And going into the presidency, He's the whole family is in serious economic jeopardy, and Jared starts talking up people in the Middle East, and he goes to the Qataris. Now they are home to our most important military base in the Middle East. Sure. That's where the Central Command is, right. and uh, the Qatar owns the Al Jazeera news service. And the Qataris look at this and say, "We're not going to make you a loan of eight hundred million dollars, and especially not on the terms you want." The Trump administration then turns against our ally, the Qataris, repeatedly. Right, and for the on for the and sides of the UA, uh, United Arab right. Emirates and, and and the Saudis. Yes, and at the end of the four years of the administration, the Jared Kushner Ivanka Trump household had gained. Uh, the government forms are open to some interpretation because they don't have exact numbers; they have categories. But at a minimum, they made $40 million a year, and there's good reason to think they made about $160 million a year, $640 million in four years. And since then, of course, Jared Kushner has been out raising money for him to manage in the Middle East. And he clearly trafficked on his father-in-law's position in the White House. Well, he was kind of given a Middle East portfolio, right? Yes, which allowed him this opportunity to basically say, pay tribute to us, take care of us, and we will do favors for you. So when Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post columnist, was viciously murdered in the Istanbul embassy of the Saudi government, the, the, the White House under Trump, they never 
made the Saudis pay any price for this. They didn't punish them. They went along with the official lie that these were rogue agents when, in fact, they were part of the elite guard around MBS. And all the time that the discussion is going on about this killing of an American resident and American journalist, Jared Kushner is in there figuring out ways to curry favor with the Saudis for his family's long-term financial benefit. I mean, it's as rank corruption as you can imagine. Yeah, now, uh, and let's talk about, like, Ivanka and these trademarks. This is, uh, how many trademarks did she get from, from China? It's in the book. Off the top of my head, I don't remember. They don't give many trademarks, is what I'm saying. No. Not only do they not very often give trademarks and service marks, but these were issued with incredible speed that no one else benefited from. And uh, a number of them were handed out just before a meeting of Donald Trump and President Xi of China. So there's no question this was an effort to try and win favor with Donald. What are these trademarks? Are they like for lines of clothing? Or? There's even one for voting machine software. Uh, basically, <laughs> she was laying out a bunch of areas that she might do business. Uh, she was not successful in her business. You know, her, her, her line of dresses with the Ivanka label, many of them were uh, taken back by, from uh, big retailers, department stores, they took out the labels and they put in new labels in them because they weren't selling. They put in Kellyanne Conway labels, as I recall. <laughs> that probably would have been more successful. But no, she but didn't Kellyanne Conway uh, get in trouble for touting one of her trademarks? Oh, yes. No, <laughs> Kellyanne Conway was one of many Trump officials who on many occasions, while speaking at the White House, touted uh, Trump properties, um, Trump family businesses, and other matters uh, without question. I mean, this was part of uh, the Trump family looked upon the White House as their personal property. Uh, to Donald Trump, there is no concept of public service. He had never performed a single day of public service prior to taking the oath of office. He'd never even been on a, an active blue ribbon panel. I found one committee that he was on, and he never went to the meetings of it. It was for a, a veteran's uh, uh, statue sort of thing, but he never did any kind of public service whatsoever. Yeah, but I'll tell you one thing. He did have a charity and that's how you judge a person. And uh, well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that's a good story, which I go through in the book. Basically, the money in the Donald J. Trump Foundation mm -hmm. didn't come from Donald Trump. He put a little bit of money in it, but almost all of it came from people doing business with Donald Trump. So the World Wrestling Federation, whose head, uh, Mrs. McMahon, became head of the Small Business Administration under Trump, for example, and NBC, which aired his fake reality shows, The Apprentice and Celebrity Apprentice, they put money Every into reality that. show is a fake reality show. So let's, well, not, <laughs> let's not go after him for that. Let's not double down. And the foundation then spent a lot of money that cycled back to Donald. And I explained how... Eric Trump's charity that was set up to benefit St. Jude's Hospital in Memphis morphed over time at daddy's insistence into a device to make money for the Trump organization. They would make grants. The grants would then be used to buy uh, services at Trump golf courses. Uh, and then they would use these connections to bring more business to the Trump golf courses. This is under the law, something known as self-dealing, and it's illegal. 
Yeah, I mean, what they would do is they go like, we're going to have a fundraiser for St. Jude's, and we're going to have it at one of our golf, at the, one of Dad's golf courses. Or and Dad's letting us use it for free. No charge. No charge, except that we are paying them a lot more than we would normally pay them. So really, this is <laughs> this is money going to our family. Yes. And not in to fact, St. Jude's. One of the chapters in the book where I go through this, Al, uh, is called uh, Charity Doghouse. Donald hates dogs, you know, and he, he uses dogs as a way to denigrate people. You know, you're a lying, you're an ugly, you're a, a no good dog is a standard phrase of his. And yet uh, I show how he made, I think it's $2 million off a dog charity, money that was diverted from rescuing dogs, the stated purpose of the charity, to Donald Trump's pockets. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with David K. Johnston. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. And we're back with David K. Johnston. Okay, well, this gets me, all this gets me to uh, what's in the future and, and what's going on in the present in terms of I want to see his comeuppance. And I would love to see him, one, I would love to see him broke. I would love to see him in prison. because And only because he deserves both. I mean, I would, wouldn't uh, wish that on, on anyone. But where is he vulnerable? Are we going to be happy at some point? Is what I'm saying. Yeah. I expect that Donald is absolutely going to be indicted. And let me walk through the, the major cases. The district attorney of Manhattan, who's outgoing, Cy Vance, retained the leading expert on racketeering law in America, former prosecutor and criminal defense lawyer named Mark Pomerantz. Now, why haven't we seen an indictment from the grand jury in Manhattan, which they just renewed to a new grand jury? Well, when they finally got the documents Donald delayed for years by fighting in the courts, they got 5 million pages, and they have to analyze all of those pages, even if they don't end up being used in the trial, so that they aren't hit with something they don't expect. But I anticipate Donald will be charged under what's called Article 460 of a New York state law, the state racketeering law. And let me just digress to point out, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I am a professor of law and have been for years at Syracuse University's law school. Uh-huh. And I played a lawyer in a sketch. Second, the state attorney general in New York, Letitia James, is pursuing at least two known cases about Donald. 
And the district attorney in Westchester County, Mimi Roca, who's a former federal prosecutor, is pursuing another case, uh, one I've written about at length, where Donald claims that his Westchester golf course is worth $1.4 million for property tax purposes. Uh, two houses on the green will cost you more like $2 million on the fairway. Uh, so it's not possible. It's only worth $1.4 million. And he's filed all sorts of uh, assertions about the values of properties. Uh, he owns a mansion in Westchester County. At one point, he valued it $229 million. He bought it for, uh, if I recall correctly, $7 million. It's probably worth around twenty. So is his strategy on all of these is just string them out, string them out, string them out so, so that he can get reelected or... Yes. Delay, delay. The the things Roy Cohn taught him are delay, delay, delay. Attack law enforcement. If law enforcement comes after you, they're the crooks. They're illegitimate. It doesn't matter what the facts show. You never concede a point. They're corrupt. Law enforcement is totally corrupt. And that's been his fundamental strategy. And then in the tax type cases, the argument he makes is, and I'll show you why it's ridiculous, is well, I was doing what the lawyer, you know, I, I don't I don't know anything about that. I did what my advisor said. Donald Trump has repeatedly said he is the world's greatest expert of all time on taxes. He has said that. He oh, has. yes. And it's in one of my previous books. And uh, as somebody who is a widely recognized tax authority, I will tell you, I tried once at lunch to give Donald tax advice. And he could, it was pretty simple advice. It had seven steps to it that were quite simple, and he couldn't follow it. He didn't understand his own deal that I was discussing with him. And he finally blew up at me and he says, How do you know all this? And I looked at him very calmly and I said, Well, Donald, I just studied all the documents that you put in the public record. And of course, he had no idea what were in the documents because he, he doesn't operate in any kind of level like that. But if he were to be indicted on a tax charge in New York, he would say, oh, I, it's too complicated. I didn't understand it. That's a common defense. That's including including uh, not Weisselberger. Is that his name, Weisselberger? Weisselberg. Weisselberg. Alan Weisselberg. Okay, I'm sorry. Weisselberg. He's charged with tax evasion, right? Not paying taxes. That, that they Correct. funneled income to him. And uh, they kept two sets of books? Is that right? The prosecutors have established, as I long ago said had to be the case, that Donald had two sets of books. Weiselberg was the guy in charge of all the money and dispersed the checks and knows every deal. And when they indicted Weiselberg and the Trump organization, which Donald owns 100% of, they were trying to pressure Weiselberg to turn on Donald. And there were lots of news stories about how, oh, he could get 15 years in prison. There's no mandatory prison for any of the charges against Weiselberg. And as a man in his 70s with no prior record, he almost certainly would get probation or at worst, house arrest. So it didn't work. He didn't pressure him into turning on Donald. Okay, but these two sets of books, the, the Trump organization has also been indicted. Trump is the Trump organization. He owns 100% of it. Why, why, why? Do we get the sense, all of us get the sense, that he's going to skate and that by 2024 will come around and he will not be in prison. He'll be fighting all these things and lying about every one of them. He'll run his race for president. Uh, hopefully, he will not win. But if he does, then I think the ball game's over for our democracy, uh, for all of this. But is there any hope? That before 24, 
that the man is indicted and in court. Yeah, I think Donald will be indicted, and and also he may be indicted in Washington, D.C., and Fulton County, Georgia. And once he is an indicted person and he is facing trial, I think you're going to see a shift. There will be some people who will scream that this is all political, but the reality is the justice system will proceed on the facts. It's going to divert him from anything else, and... You know, will it though? And and will he just? I mean, it doesn't seem like he takes time to do anything. And so, will his diversion be just saying, "Nope, I didn't do that. Nope, that's a lie. Nope, these people are coming after me for political purposes. This is why you need to elect me uh, again." And we're gonna, my lawyers are gonna string it out. Well, stringing things out and delaying them will be a fundamental tactic, along with this is all illegitimate. But I think once he is actually personally indicted, Al, you're going to see a shift in public opinion. Now, you are I totally agree with you. Had Donald gotten a second term, or if he should get back into the White House in January of 2025, it's game over for our democracy. I mean, I back in 2015, when Donald was being treated by the politics reporters as a vanity campaign, I said, no, it's not. And if he gets in the White House, it would well be the end of our democracy. And I, I remember some, being told by some politics reporters, oh, you know, you're just, that's really extreme. I don't think anybody would think that's extreme today, including a lot of Trump supporters who I've jousted with on the internet who don't want to be a democracy anymore. They want Donald Trump to be our dictator. Yeah, there's that. There's that. So you wonder about, okay, how many are denying that he, that what he's talking about is completely undemocratic and that he's lying about, uh, he lied about the election from the very beginning, uh, on election night. I won an election slide and the election is rigged on election night or three in the morning, uh, which 66% of Republicans now believe. Yeah, this, Al, this is a really disturbing development in American politics. But the underlying question you have to ask is, what is it that made it possible for this friend of a, of a major drug lord, a serial cheater of investors and workers and governments, uh, even cheated people at one of his casinos? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's a, who's a major drug lord? I um, miss that. In the, in, in my first book in the Trump trilogy, The Making of Donald Trump, I tell all about his involvement with this guy who uh, was running uh, tons of drugs, tons and tons from Columbia to Miami to Cincinnati. And the mules who drove the drugs from Cincinnati, up to Cincinnati got 20 years in prison. Donald's buddy, who managed his helicopter fleet for the casinos and his personal helicopter and flew Donald around in the helicopter, got, uh, served 18 months. And by the way, the case somehow mysteriously got moved from Cincinnati to the New Jersey federal courtroom of a newly appointed federal judge named Marianne Trump Barry. And well, his sister recused herself from the case. In doing so, she clearly alerted the chief judge that she had a problem because she flew in this drug dealer's helicopters. I mean, imagine now you're the chief judge in, in Newark of uh, the federal courts and a new judge tells you, oh, yes, well, you know, I, I, I'm often a passenger in a helicopter driven by one of the biggest drug lords, flown by one of the biggest drug lords in America. Accused, uh, alleged drug lords. Oh, no, the guy's convicted. Oh, no, he, he pled, okay, he admitted, I have his confession. There's no alleged. She, she also withdrew 
She retired when it, the New York Times did the article revealing that there was just a lot of fraud in the way the Trump family, including herself, handled their fortune from That's their father, right? right? What, what happened? Here's what happened. I, I, I got Donald Trump's tax return for one year in the mail. I think Donald sent it to me. The Times, where I used to work, then began its own investigation, and they found this massive unquestioned fraud. I mean, they flat out called it fraud because it was. Judge Barry, Donald's sister, then came under investigation, whereupon she left the bench. And, you know, unlike you and me, if we come under investigation, it just goes on. Federal judges have a special rule for themselves. If you resign from the bench, they stop investigating you. Isn't that nice for federal judges? I mean, that that's part of the Trump uh, legacy, too. And, and it didn't marry Trump give the New York Times many of the documents? Mary Trump, who's Donald's niece, gave the Times 19 bankers' boxes of information, which I've talked to Mary at great length. They didn't mean anything to her. It took the Times uh, three or four reporters, plus a lot of outside expert advice, a year to understand the documents. Uh, And it just flat out showed a whole variety of techniques that were illegal that lowered their taxes and helped them at the same time increase rents in rent-controlled and rent-stabilized apartments that the Trump family owned. This is just part of a lifelong pattern. I mean, I have described Donald Trump as the third-generation head of a four-generation white-collar crime family. These are people who don't break legs. They steal your money with contracts, with lies, with deceit, and they've been doing it since the late 1800s. You know what's interesting about the grandfather, and I didn't bring this up when you talked about him, uh, which is the guy went to Alaska and uh, Seattle and Alaska, is that he died of um, the Spanish flu. Yeah, he, d- he died in the pandemic 100 years ago. And one of the reasons Donald is so bizarre in his handling of this, you know, he, he uh, told us, oh, there are going to be no cases. There are 15 cases are going to go away. Mm-hmm. And he's telling Bob Woodward in tape-recorded conversations that he knows exactly how deadly this is is somehow in his mind, I'm sure, caught up with the death of his grandfather, who died when Fred Trump, the son, was only 15 years old or 13 years old. So his father's father died uh, of, of the flu. Of a, of a virus, just like a the virus coronavirus. when his dad was 13. Okay, that's got to have a searing effect. On that oh, 13-year-old. And Fred, Fred Trump, at 15, had a business building garages in the outer boroughs of New York. You know, it's one thing to build a house with all the requirements. A garage is a pretty simple thing to do, right? You throw up some wood and maybe there's a, a, a one light in it and some windows. And the business was owned by his mother, the widow, but he was very serious worker. He created one of the first self-service supermarkets or grocery stores. People used to go to the store and they would hand you the goods from behind the counter. He set up this self-service during the Depression and sold the business for a million dollars, which in 1930s money is a lot of bread today. Mm -hmm. And then he built housing during the war where he profiteered, um, building government housing for shipyard workers in Virginia and Philadelphia. And then after the war, he began building uh, these apartments in New York. In fact, he is said to be the very first person in line to get the federally subsidized loans for the places he built. And they very carefully regulated 
uh, who lived in these buildings to make sure that they they did have some buildings with uh, blacks and Puerto Ricans, but they were steered to a specific building. If you showed up well qualified to any of the other buildings, they would tell you there were no apartments. And the government nailed them on this in 1973. They sent out couples, uh, match couples, a black couple and a white couple, same finances to rent an apartment. The black couple was told there are no units. The white couple was told, oh, we have a number of units. Come with us and take a look. And they found they even kept a ledger where they marked who was not white. So these are bad people is what you're saying? Oh, that would be the most kind possible description of these are horrible people who've cheated workers, cheated governments, cheated investors. And and they feel no shame or guilt about this because in the Trump family, the only thing that matters is you win and get the money. And so long as you don't get arrested, so long as law enforcement doesn't get you, that's perfectly okay with them. They, they, are, they are not amoral. They are calculatingly immoral people. So who hangs out with them? I mean, in other words, what kind of people are friends of people like this? Yeah, Al, Donald doesn't have anybody I would call a friend. Everything Donald does is transactional. And in fact, in one of the chapters, I tell about the relationship between Melania Trump and her then best friend, Stephanie Wolkoff. Oh, she ran the inaugural. Yes, she ran the inaugural social events and how they tried to get her or part of Rick Gates, uh, who was Paul Manafort's deputy, tried to get her to commit crimes, and she wouldn't do it. And uh, it, that story tells you about the way these people view the world. Most of us have some sense of shame, propriety. There are things we could do, but we wouldn't do because of the reaction others would have. That's not how the, how the Trump family thinks. And that's also not how the Kushners think, because they're very much like that. It's all about getting the money and how you get it. As long as you don't get arrested and go to jail, that's fine. You know, whatever you need to do, just do it. And, 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 and this is not the kind of mentality we should have in any public office. I mean, even elected dog catcher, somebody shouldn't have that view of the world. So, I mean, they're grifters. Is that the proper use of the word grifter? Yeah. Oh, no. That's exactly. I mean, I have called Donald the greatest con artist in the history of the world. He conned his way all the way to the White House. They are uh, through and through grifters. And, you know, I've, I've written in the past, Al, about people who are con artists where uh, I wrote about them in their 20s and then about when they got to their 30s and their 40s. And you see there's a career ladder for grifters out there and people <laughs> who connect with one another. And I've talked with FBI agents who've told me about grifter families, not uh, biological, but uh, social families, and how people over time, you know, gain experience and rise through the ranks as grifters. And and the Trumps are, you know, right at the top of the uh, the feeding chain there among grifters. It's so depressing because the, the the problem is, is what happened on not January 6th, but November 3rd or 4th, I guess, three in the morning, which him saying the election was stolen uh, and it was rigged. And I won by landslide. That was the beginning of that's that's different than we've ever had in this country. And we knew he was a bad guy. And then after January 6th, instead of everyone going, okay, phew, we're done with him. 
his popularity among Republicans has seemed to have only gone up. Yes, and, and that's the part that I, I find the most disturbing. The, the whole principle of our democracy is we're responsible for what happens to us. We choose through the people we elect to office for what happens to us. But if you develop this mentality of my way or the highway, and if I have to take over the government to get my way, now you're in the process of destroying our democracy. And Donald Trump wants to be our dictator. He's made that eminently clear with his own words. I mean, I was saying it long before he made some of his most outrageous comments about this. But that's this development within the Republican Party, believing that the election was stolen and saying that Republicans, lifelong Republicans like Brad Raffsenberger in, in Atlanta, the Secretary of State for Georgia, participated in stealing the election for Joe Biden. That is so ludicrously nonsense. And yet uh, I encounter people all the time who insist that that's exactly what happened. Um, I, I was on a, I'm starting a stream TV show about money and power soon. And I was doing research in California and the Hilton Hotel, the couple sitting next to me at breakfast who were clearly very prosperous and seemed from our conversation to be intelligent uh, suddenly told me that, well, you know, uh, the doctors are saying all these people died of COVID when nobody's dying from COVID because they get $2,000. And I said, what makes you think they get $2,000? Well, Donald said they get $2,000. The president said they get $2,000. The doctors. I said, where would they get it from? He said, well, the government pays it to them. I mean, it was, and, and the guy said, the you know, in the news, nobody dies anymore from anything but COVID. So I immediately opened up my cell phone and showed him the numbers on death, cancer and heart disease coming ahead of COVID. And he went, yeah, well, it's just more lies from the government. It's all lies. So once you get into this box of only Donald Trump is the source of truth. So they're saying the doctors get paid $2,000 for saying right. the death is caused by COVID. Okay, I got it. Because that. Donald, Trump did say that. Trump said the doctors were doing this because they got $2,000. And it, it, is, it is one of the stupidest lies you can imagine. But once you decide that Trump is the source of truth, it's like being in any cult. Uh, I've exposed some cults over the years in my career. And it's like any other cult. The cult leader is the source of all truth. And and to question what the cult leader says is to deny your own legitimacy. You have to bow to the wisdom of the cult leader. And that's what we've got here. We have a cult with tens of millions of people in it. And I don't know how to wake them up. So, you know, we really need to figure out how do we get people to come out of this this dreamlike state where they accept that the, the, this view that Donald is the greatest person in the world and that we should all bow down to him, we should give up our liberties to him. And it's embedded in a whole series of other things. You know, as I repeatedly pointed out, Al, in 2019, 90% of Americans had smaller incomes than in 1973 when you adjust for inflation. And they're much more in debt. Their medical situation is fakakta. Uh, so is their retirement situation. So on an economic level, 90% of Americans have good reason to be very upset about what's happened with our economy and what politicians in both parties have done. Secondly, it's a lot of us thought that we had made a lot of progress on civil rights and racism. Well, no. Once Donald peeled back the veneer, we've seen that the ugliness of white supremacy is still there and virulent as can be. Okay, you know what I hope the magic bullet is? The the Raffensperger case, Georgia. I mean, it's on tape. It's on tape. And, and how can people deny 
that he is threatening the Secretary of State uh, to steal the election. Yeah. I mean, and this will be a test of how cult-like this is. Because how do you listen to that tape and go like, uh, no, no, he wasn't trying to steal the election. He was just suggesting that the Secretary of State find 11,780 votes and that if he didn't do that, he would be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I, uh, Al, I agree with you. The problem, of course, with criminal trials is you just need one ringer on the jury to hang the jury. But one of the things Donald has brought to light is that we have very inadequate and weak controls to protect us from a predator in office. How did that happen? How do we get a predator, this predator in office? What, what, do we, what do we have to do to prevent that? The Democrats have got to learn to, to market. They got to learn how to have slogans. You know, I've been very critical of Joe Biden for saying we're going to spend $3.5 trillion. No, we're going to invest less than $3 a day per American for 10 years for the Build Back Better plan. Invest less than $3 a day. Right. Not big, scary number, $3.5 trillion. The Democrats need to go hire people to teach them how to market. We, we are terrible at messaging. All our bumper stickers end with continued on next bumper sticker. <laughs> Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me DJ and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. 
Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.